Hello. It's time for a new episode of the How to Love the Shit Out of Life podcast. Sally here. And it's a new guest episode, which we haven't had in a little while because, as many of you know, the podcast has been on a mid-season break. We returned last week. Uh, and this is the first guest episode of, I guess, the second half of season three. So I'm really excited. Um, before I get into who the guest is that is joining me on today's episode, I do just want to quickly, as usual, say thank you, massive thank you for supporting the podcast, for listening, uh, for telling your mates about it, for just, you know, being all-round legends. Um, you may be listening to the podcast on one of several different platforms, as per usual, I'd like to just, you know, rattle them off for you. So the podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, SoundCloud and Spotify uh, and you can access all the episodes via my website www.howtolovetheshitoutoflife.com. If you throw on a forward slash podcast, they're all there. I recommend going through and having a listen. Now, today's guest, I was lucky enough to do a number of recordings during the mid-season break and particularly during the last few weeks, um, when you listen to this episode, I am hoping that Greater Sydney and several other regions around the area are out of lockdown, but I'm not too sure. I am currently recording this while we are in a lockdown period because of COVID-19, but I was lucky enough to do a few recordings during the lockdown period as well via Zoom. And one of them was with uh, a man named Nico King. Now, Nico is the executive creative director for online gaming company, Chaos Theory Games. So I've wanted to do an episode on video games for a really long time. I've been trying to get the right guest for it. And I think I found it in Nico. Uh, Nico's story is really special. It is kind of that quintessential living the dream in my opinion, because he is doing what he wanted to do when he was a kid. He has turned his childhood love of games into a business. He has done this with two of his childhood best friends as well, which makes it even more special. So I think this is the ultimate dream and you can hear a lot of that passion um, and love for what he does and obviously his, his friends as well in what Nico says and what he talks about. Um, He also went into really good detail about the process of creating a game. Uh, And as someone who's loved video games from a really young age, uh, I'm a big PlayStation fan. Uh, Maybe not as much now as what I was when I was a kid, but I've always been, you know, team PlayStation. And sometimes I just think when I'm playing, like how amazing is this? You just, you pick up the controller, you chuck the game in, you press play and you're on your way. Uh, But what goes into it? So I asked Nico about that and he gave a really great response. He goes into a lot of detail, but I assure you it is worth it. He also touches on briefly, you know, we got a little bit into the misconceptions about games and, you know, how video games can actually be a source of positivity and doing good in the world. And I can assure you from the stories that he has told me, some of the games he goes into detail about that they've developed at Chaos Theory, they are doing good. They are making positive impacts. So I just love that. I I love this chat. Nico is really great at giving, as I said, detailed information about the process, but also you get that passion and that love for what he does. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. 
Hello and welcome to a new episode of the How to Love the Shit Out of Life podcast. On today's episode, I will be speaking with Nico King, who is the Executive Creative Director at Chaos Theory Games. The business develops a wide variety of games aiming to make a positive impact, including virtual reality, augmented reality, and mobile apps. So welcome to the podcast, Nico. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. Thank you for being on. We are recording this via Zoom, obviously, with the COVID lockdown situation going on right now. Um, we won't be able to meet in person, but that's okay. So I thought if you wanted to start by telling us a bit about yourself and Chaos Theory Games. Yeah, sure. Uh, I always like to start the story relatively at the beginning. Um, I have always had a passion for games, always been very interested in all things games and playing them to my heart's content, even though my parents might have not enjoyed that as much or discouraged <laughs> that as, as much as they could. But I guess I was just always passionate and always interested. And I was very fortunate to meet my now two business partners when we were uh, about 10 years old. I, I guess really bonded over our love for games. And at the age of 12, had already come up with the name for Chaos Theory Games and had been drawing different doodles and game designs and filling up books with our ideas of the games that we were going to make that were going to change the world. Wow. Uh, I don't think any of us really knew what was involved in game development. We didn't know what software development was. So we over the um, next sort of six or seven years, we really came to realize what's involved in game development. Uh, all did software development at school and in a few holiday breaks, uh, made a few prototypes and and really just started to get our hands dirty in, in game development. Uh, the, the day after the youngest of us turned 18, uh, so my, sorry, my two business partners are James Lockery and, and Will Bagley. So James is our managing director and Will mm -hmm. Bagley is our technical director. So the day after Will turned 18, Will's the youngest of us, we officially legally founded the company. That's as early as we could do it and we couldn't hold ourselves back. Uh, and then throughout uh, our tertiary studies, we uh, continued to design games, make them in our, uh, in our holiday breaks and... Uh, really started to, I guess the first few concepts that we came up with were way too ambitious and, and way too large. Yeah. And we built the first kind of components of that, but realized we should really just take a step back and design something smaller and smaller and smaller until we eventually decided on making a mobile game, something that was just going to be a little one level arcade game that we could really polish and do a good job of and release on, release on the stores. So yeah, that was our, our first kind of official release. I studied 3D art and animation at AIE at a game design college. The main reason that I went into 3D art and animation was just, we needed an artist on our team and I was the one that could kind of draw. So that was what uh, kind of picked my role. I think I'm quite uh, data-driven and analytical and hmm. uh, quite logic-based, so would have made a, a great programmer, but um, the the need was there. So I jumped into it with, with gusto and uh, learnt all there was, all, all that I could about 3D art and animation and, um, and con concept art and applied that to our, our game development process. So yeah, that's kind of the the history of, of mm. how we got started. I wanted to comment and just say how cool that is that you guys have done this from, you know, such a young age. And as you said, when Will turned 18, it was like, yeah, let's make this official. I just think that's really cool. Obviously it's like a childhood dream 
come true. Indeed. I think mm. I, I'm very fortunate to have no known what I wanted to do pretty much my whole life and very, very fortunate to have Will and James part of the team and having three people for starting a business is, in my opinion, the the best number because uh, you always have the the mediator who's there. You always mm. kind of, if you have any argument, the third person can just weigh in and you've got a majority vote on anything. Mm. And then because we've known each other for so long, we're, we're very much invested in the long-term vision. So any disagreement, we leave our baggage behind and yeah. say, this is what the group wants to go with. So let's, let's do it as a team. The podcast is all about joy, positivity and happiness. So how do, I guess, digital games and this business, Chaos Theory Games, give you that? Starting with games, because that's what I was always, mm. uh, or that, that's where it started. Started a love for games and then that made me want to, to make them. Uh, as I mentioned, I've always kind of been obsessive about games. Uh, I remember, I, I think the first game I ever had was a, was a Game Boy game. Uh, when I, when my parents finally gave in to giving me some form of game because I was asking <laughs> for it so much. Um, and then I saved up my pocket money to get a GameCube and uh, used to play uh, a lot of GameCube games with, with Will and James as well. Played a lot of Sonic Adventure 2 ba- Battle and uh, really fell in love with uh, the Chow Garden, which is essentially like a little pet simulator within mm-hmm. That game, it's yeah, very very hard to describe why I love games so much. It's just it's always caught my interest. I think reflecting on uh, reflecting on a little bit, it's probably the interactive nature. It's you're not uh, sitting passively and observing something else that somebody else has sorry something that somebody else has done. Mm. You're getting actively involved in the story creation process. You're learning something new. You're engaging your mind and you're really growing as an individual. So um, I'm yeah, very interested in uh, sort of space and science and learning new things. I don't, I don't sit down and uh, sort of read a book very easily. Uh, mm. I like to kind of get my hands dirty and uh, yeah, be involved. In terms of the, the business and the happiness that my, uh, the business has given me, business is really, in my opinion, like the ultimate game. It's this incredibly complex system. There's a set of rules. There's an objective to, to work towards. Uh, I think a lot of businesses will work towards making a profit. So that could be your score, essentially. And as long as you're still in business, you're, you're going on to the next level, which is the next year in business. Um, and it's incredibly challenging. It's this puzzle that you need to work out. There's a social element where you're collaborating with a lot of different people and yeah, there are achievements. You can win awards for things. Um, so yeah, I relate everything back to, to games and gameplay. And I think that it's been a really incredibly rewarding experience to build a group of like-minded individuals that are focused on the same objective. We all love to come into work together. Mm. We make a positive difference in the world. We have a great time most days of the week. Oh, sounds like you're living the dream. (laughs) (laughs) I I think so. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's always been my dream. I think Mm. some people would have a very, very different view. Uh, I've, I've had friends who've kind of, they have active jobs where they're uh, doing a lot of physical work mm. and they say, 
I, don't, I just don't understand how you could sit at a computer like, all day, every day. And I'll just tell them, oh, yeah, then I go home and sit at a computer some more and play yeah. some games and <laughs> chat, chat with some people. So, mm. yeah, I think it's a it's a particular kind of, of dream that I'm really invested in. And, mm. yeah, it's probably the, the, the difficulty, the challenge of it, the problem-solving nature and the people that I work with mm. is what makes it, uh, best job in the world for myself. On the flip side of that, you know, how have games and I guess the business as well helped you overcome any challenges or obstacles that you may have faced in your life? This this question's a little bit challenging because honestly, I don't know that I've faced too many challenges that Chaos Theory has helped me overcome, but I feel like that might be down to myself being quite positive and optimistic and uh, I guess, content with my my life. There doesn't appear to be anything that's upset me to a point that I need to necessarily overcome it. I think time heals all wounds and anything that's been emotionally devastating has, mm. has been something that I can um, move on from. And games have, have played some part in that, uh, but not necessarily chaos theory. Yeah. And I'd say that Chaos Theory has definitely caused a few headaches in my life. <laughs> um, there have definitely been, uh, I guess the, the, the challenge part of that uh, comes into it where there's a lot of big, hard problems that don't really have a clear answer mm. that are just essentially lose-lose scenarios where you've got to pick the, the lesser of two e- evils. And I guess starting a business, being in a p- position of authority or uh, being in a position where the the decisions that you make will impact other people's lives. Uh, yeah, there are definitely some some really difficult challenges that have come up from that, but it's all been a learning experience, a growing experience. So yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't change it for the world. I would really like to know a bit about the process of creating a game, start from scratch, because you know, I'm I'm a fan of playing games as well. I'm a big PlayStation fan. So obviously have grown up playing video games my whole life. And, you know, you just sit down, you grab the controller, you pop the game in and you play. And it just seems so seamless. But obviously, as you're probably about to explain, it is not. So can you just tell us a little bit about the process of creating a game from beginning to end? Out of curiosity, what sort of games do you like to play on PlayStation? Oh, uh, look, it kind of varies. I love sports games. Um, at the moment, though, I've gotten back into Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. So, nice. a, <laughs> yeah. a, a classic. Yes, a classic. And um, yes, I've been getting through that. So, but I would say probably sports and and maybe your platform games, you know, obviously I'm a massive Crash Bandicoot fan from yesteryear. So probably they're the two categories I would say would be my favourites. Nice. A, a, a PlayStation gamer through and through then. Mm, mm. Um, so, yeah, I guess ju- jumping into the game development process, uh, at, a, at a really high level, it's a very interesting mix of different disciplines. You really need a strong uh, technical like foundation to build from pretty pure software development in terms of you're writing lines of code and you need to review and quality control that code mm. in order to create something that's functional. I often have my mind blown about the complexity of the systems and all of the, I guess, backend engineering and architecture that goes into yeah. creating a game that a lot of people don't see, a lot of people don't notice, creates that seamless experience is really 
the goal of that. Then there's the creative discipline. So uh, breathing to life a world, a story, um, doing art and animation. Uh, it's a very different mindset of trying to uh, create something new and, and being imaginative and uh, inspirational, I guess. Mm. And I find that the technical side is always, it's very problem oriented, solving problems and pointing out why things won't work so that you can avoid any mistakes. And then the creative side is very big picture. Don't worry about the details too much. Uh, so that's a really interesting blend mm. uh, of, of two different uh, perspectives when you're, when you're having a discussion about uh, how to, how to approach developing a game. And then there's also the business development side of things. So any commercially available game is a business. It has, has to generate revenue. Uh, there's a lot of time and effort and money that get invested into making a game. So it has to make a return on that. Uh, and again, that's quite a different perspective of uh, looking at the, the customer, how, how to generate revenue, uh, what's the best way to do that? Um, how do you make contact with different platform holders and sign publishing deals if that's uh, that's the path you're going down. Um, so from from my experience, those are the three kind of key ingredients that you need to develop a game. On the production side of things, so how do you actually produce a game? Uh, the, the first stage that we go through, we refer to as pre-production. So that's any work that needs to happen before you actually start building the game itself. So that might be, first and foremost, you might do some market research or you'll start with a game concept first. So if you were taking a, a market research-oriented approach, you would uh, use analysis tools to look at the uh, other games that are being released, uh, what audiences are out there, what's popular at the moment, um, yeah, what's, what's the next up-and-coming platform. Uh, it's definitely a valid way to, to start out a game. Uh, most most of the first games that we created were just started with an idea. Uh, wouldn't mm. it be cool if? And those would always be based on some sort of inspiration. So I think the, the first five or six different games that we designed were all just rip, ripping off other people's games. Uh, to, to, be to be fair, we were like 11 or 12. So yes. that's kind of where, where we were at in our, in our development. Surely they couldn't um, sue you for that. <laughs> oh, that we, we didn't build them. We just, yeah. we just designed them. Uh, but the, 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 I think one of the first ones was called Scope and Crank and it was just a rip off of Ratchet and Clank. Um, and I mean, I'd say rip off, but like, we, we, I think we were, uh, designing a world or writing a narrative and mm. it just had a lot of similarities between games that we liked games that we thought we, were really cool and interesting these days if we're going to design a game uh, we do a lot of work in the applied game space or sometimes called serious games where it's looking to solve a real world problem using a game the objective might be education, so teaching somebody something, uh, could be uh, so changing somebody's behavior, could be raising awareness for a certain social cause. Uh, essentially, anything that you want to do, you could probably design a game to do it. So with those projects, we'll ask what the objective is, what are we looking to accomplish, uh, and then we'll do as much research as we can into the subject matter. So we've made a few games about uh, coral reef conservation and mm -hmm. sustainability. Those games really came from 
a, a passion or an interest I had in marine aquariums and science and biology and just being an addict to the to the animal planet when I was younger. Uh, just very interested in all things science. So did a lot of research into the like breeding habits of fish and uh, marine ecosystems and uh, food chains and uh, all of the different interesting fun facts about the marine animals that inhabit the reefs. I've also had a particular interest in environmental sustainability. So just being aware of what coral bleaching is and how that works, um, what algal blooms are and how those work, uh, what invasive species are currently threatening the reefs. So I think there's just a lot of background information or uh, experience that uh, I, I brought into one of the projects that we worked on called Rainbow Reef. Mm -hmm. um, so that that concept came from a place of I had all of this existing experience, all this existing knowledge, and I wanted to create a game about it. So then I looked at different game design frameworks. So what's the genre or what's the, the platform that we're going to be working with? What sort of features go into those games? Uh, and then quickly build up an idea around the core of the experience of what we're going to be building. So that's where that project started and where other projects have started in a similar place. Moving on to the rest of pre-production and, and the, the, the work that's involved in that would be looking at the technical architecture. So we're going to be building a very complex system. Let's plan out in detail all of the different component parts of that mm. system. Uh, do any research, find any tools that will help us uh, along that journey. Uh, from a game design perspective, we would write a game design document, and that would include all of the features, all of the systems, uh, high-level overview of the concept, uh, what's the elevator pitch. So if you had to tell somebody about it in 20, 30 seconds, uh, what's the most important information? Uh -huh, okay. uh, looking at the core gameplay loop. So what are the steps that people go through the main system that the player is interacting with again and again and again. Uh, so something like Tony Hawk's, you might, the core gameplay for that would be you jump into a level, you're skating and you're trying to get a high score, you're trying to um, reach objectives, you're trying to get collectibles, all those sorts of things. Uh, so that would be the, the, the core gameplay loop of, of Tony Hawk's. And then when you finish a level, you want to play another one. And you can always come back to it and you can always re-engage with that core gameplay system uh, and then on the art side of things there'll be concept art that's developed uh, we might do if it was a narrative game would create narrative snippets or narrative overview uh, write uh, bios for different characters things like that i'd say that that's probably a high level overview of what mm. we've done on projects in the past for pre-production there are a lot of different i guess tasks or activities that you can do during pre-production it's essentially just preparing to get an entire team of people working together under a cohesive vision so that as you're building it block by block, piece by piece, it all fits together at the end and you end up where you actually want to be. So mm -hmm. one of the benefits of doing market analysis is that you understand who you're making this game for, who's the ideal end user, and you can be testing it with them. Um, a lot of the earlier games that we made were just for us. We made games that we wanted to play and they didn't necessarily, they, they weren't very marketable because mm. they were very niche to our interests and our tastes and they were really hard because that's what we wanted to be playing. <laughs> so I think over, over time we've really realized that um, doing a lot more 
playtesting and bringing in people who are external to your team is really critical for creating an end product that people actually want to play. So going on to the development side of things. So once you've got all of your groundwork laid and you know the direction that you're heading, um, that's when the development team and the art production team and anybody else that's working around them would uh, really start to be involved in building it, building the game. And I describe it block by block because whenever we work on a project, we chunk it up into the most logical pieces that we can right. and work on those individually. So I guess on a fundamental level, the developers, the programmers are writing code. So they might create a script to uh, cause a character to jump up and down. Uh, that's a piece of code. There might be a much more complex system such as doing leaderboards or doing a multiplayer system that has a lot of different component parts to that. Uh, but fundamentally they're, they're writing these um, pieces of logic, these scripts that get attached to different objects and different systems in order to make it all run, to make it all mm. move so that when you press the button, something happens. The, the project management tool that we use is called Jira and essentially we'll create tickets that move from the backlog into doing, into done, and then they'll be reviewed or QA'd. So what we do is write up a bit of detail about what this chunk of work is and put it into a big backlog where we'll have maybe 30 or 40 tickets uh, for, for a person to work on. And then they just pick up one at a time and move through those tickets and work on it piece by piece. At the end of every two weeks, we'll have a new build that we can play. So uh, I guess working on each individual bit is an efficient way to work, but you sometimes lose, can't see the whole big picture. So yeah. do, doing a build every two weeks and taking a step back and playing it, talking about it, seeing where you're up to really allows you to, I guess, hone the direction and make sure that you're working on the most important work and heading in the right direction. So bringing in external playtesters at that stage is really great and uh, getting their feedback, observing them play the game, where did they get stuck? Oh, we need to develop a new system here. So they fell off the map or they got stuck in this corner. Mm. Cool, all right, we need we need to, to resolve that. Art production perspective, uh, we use 3D modeling software to create 3D models and then import that into the game engine. We do, uh, texturing and animation and effects and everything to make it all look pretty. And then uh, there's usually close collaboration with a developer to implement some of that art or to create tools for those artists to use in order to create interactive art pieces that fit into the, the broader, broader game. Yeah. Wow. Any, any questions on that? Or is that, that enough detail on the that production is, side of things? That is pretty incredible. <laughs> um, I was actually just going to chime in there when you were talking about the external play testers. So do you mm -hmm. reach out to just random people to test the games? Like how does that process work? Yeah, the, there are a lot of different ways uh, that we approach it. So it always depends on the project that we're working on. And the most important thing is we designing a game for a particular type of person. So we don't get our mum to come in and play it because <laughs> she's going to have very, very different opinions to a uh, like 17 year old school student or high mm. school student. Recently, we worked on a, a project for a university that was to go into their curriculum to teach cybersecurity. 
and we worked with their university students. Uh, the position, our office is positioned next to some of the other gaming colleges. So we brought in some of the, the AIE students to come in and, and play test the game, give feedback. So they're learning about the game design process while also oh, playing our game awesome. and giving us, giving us feedback on the game. Mm. So that's really beneficial for other types of games where we don't necessarily have access to, to the users uh, in our immediate vicinity or don't know where to find them. There are online services that we can use to specify I'm looking for somebody of this age, um, of these demographics, and I would like them to play, play our game. You can have people record their screen. So through those services, they can sometimes record their screen and talk about their experience. Uh, so that can be a really useful tool for getting really high quality feedback early in development. Um, and you see the observations. I remember we, we were working on a game called Kangazoo, uh, which is a wildlife rescue game ah. where you you take on the the role of a uh, national park ranger and you're traveling all around Australia, rescuing injured animals, taking them back to your sanctuary to rehabilitate them and release them. And the intended, intended audience for it was people overseas. Mm -hmm. And we got some people playing it and they were looking for a kangaroo and they were driving around just asking questions like, and like drive, drove up to a rock and they were like, is this a kangaroo? And then just drove up to a tree. They're like, is this a kangaroo? <laughs> so some, sometimes there's uh, yeah, you just, you'd never think that that might've been a problem, yeah. but all of a sudden you got to explain what a kangaroo is. So, oh, so really great, really great insights that are gained from, uh, from playtesting. Mm. Um, and then a few other ways that we can get playtesters, uh, Facebook uh, analytics or Facebook targeted ads can be really, really beneficial. So yeah. uh, we might design a mobile game and we know it's for a particular demographic. So we will run a Facebook ad for that particular demographic, get those users. And then in the analytics, we can see just the users that we bought through that ad campaign. And then we can analyze their, their performance through the app. What levels did they get stuck on? Um, did they come back on the second day, the third day after downloading the game? Um, so that's a really good way to get a larger quantity mm -hmm. of players. And then there's also going to conventions. So mm. going to like PAX Australia or any of the other PAXs around the world. Um, and PAX is a, a large gaming expo if anybody doesn't know. So, uh, yeah, going to those conventions, there's thousands of people that are coming through looking to play games and you can sit there and watch, ask questions, get really, really good feedback on the game. If people are interested in the game, you can get their emails, you can build a bit of a mailing list. And some of those people will be the most dedicated fans who yeah. really follow the development, follow the progress and would be involved in some of the early stage releases of, of the game and yeah, testing it to give feedback. Thank you for that because that's probably a bit of hard work going through the whole process yourself. Um, you know, obviously you go through it a lot in your actual work, but just maybe writing it down and actually spelling it out um, is probably mm. not super easy. So thank you. So, um, sorry if it yeah. was a bit a bit scattered. There's, <laughs> there's definitely a, a lot that, uh, that mm. goes into it. I was re recently playing uh, Ratchet and Clank, the, the new one that came out on the PlayStation uh, okay. 5. Yep. And it is such a seamless game. I was just 
playing it and just admiring mm. that there aren't any like loading screens. There's just everything is so well polished. I wow. didn't see any bu- bugs in the entire experience. And I was just thinking the whole time, like this took a lot of people to make. Yeah. And, uh, th- there's a, I think it's a, a web design saying of the, the best website is invisible or the best user interface is invisible mm. where you don't notice when something works really well. And as soon as it's not working, you really yes. notice it. And that game was just very smooth. Just yeah. everything was kind of invisible and there was nothing between you and the enjoyable experience that they offered. Wow. It's really uh, a work of art. Yeah, the pinnacle, the pinnacle of games. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So one of the things that stood out in my research for this episode was the focus of chaos theory in being advocates for change. Um, Can you elaborate a little bit more on that and why that's important to the overall brand of the business? Games obviously had a very large impact on my life when I was younger. And I've always seen them, seen games have a huge potential to have an impact on other people's lives. If they could convince me to dedicate my entire life to making them Mm. and to being invested in them, then they're obviously a very powerful tool. So from that early age, we always knew that they had this potential and that we wanted to make games that weren't only about entertainment. We wanted to make games that were leaving the world a better place. Or I think we all have some interest, uh, myself and the other two directors all have some interest in uh, space or science or education and have learnt so much from games. I know that our managing director used to uh, run different um, like guilds or r- raids in World of Warcraft and learnt how to manage a lot of people through that mm. uh, and picked up a lot of really great skills uh, from playing that game. And it's this kind of interactive sandbox where you can make it whatever you want. And we acknowledge that and and really wanted to create games in that in that same vein of transformative experiences, I mm. guess. When we started working on, we do quite a bit of client work now, so we do uh, quite a bit of contracts for other companies. When we started doing co- contract work, started working with a few universities, doing a bit of work in the education space. I think we have always wanted to create games that had a positive difference and we've had a particular interest in environmental conservation or social change I guess big complex problems that don't really have too many good solutions and personally I think it just came down to if we could work on anything we wanted to work on what would we want to make mm. and creating fun engaging interactive experiences is at the core of that but what do we want to make them about and I have always pushed for things like environmental conservation or things like social change because yeah. it's just really interesting. It's an area that needs more people to be uh, focusing on it. It needs more attention and it isn't, yeah, it isn't a problem that's been solved and it is a problem that needs to be solved. So that's probably where we started getting interested in it because that's being part of our DNA or part of our vision from a very early, well, from from the early days of chaos theory, yeah. we've managed to assemble a team around that who are all aligned under that one vision and want to contribute to that uh, that positive difference. 
and it's kind of just built and grown and snowballed. And I feel very fortunate to not only be working on games, but also to be leaving the world a better place and to mm. be able to hold my head high and say that I'm, I'm doing something to, I'm doing something about it. That's awesome. I think it, it also pushes back on, I guess, some of the misconceptions about video games and online gaming that people that don't play games and don't really know too much about it, they think they're just a waste of time or that they're just mind-numbing mm. and, and whatnot. And obviously there, there are games that are just suited to kind of take you away from the world and they're an escape and, and that sort of thing. But the fact that you guys are actively working on games that are making that positive impact, it shows that there's so much more than what I guess some people think of them. I think, yeah, there are a lot of misconceptions about mm. games. I personally believe that there's an element of its new technology and speaking about some parents that don't like their kids playing games. Mm. There's an element of this is a new technology. I didn't have this when I was growing up and I don't think it's valuable. I don't see the value in it, Yeah, uh, which is starting to shift now. But those people are currently sitting in parliament, they're senior business leaders mm. and the society that we live in, that really flows down and those views trickle down. People who, uh, not all people that work in the media, not all people in government, but mm. that's the, the, the trend is that they haven't had these really great positive experiences. So they focus on the negative. There's a yeah. bit of fear mongering that's out there in order to, or, or I don't think there's anything malicious about it. It's just people no. don't understand it. They, they haven't had those experiences. Exactly. Um, but yeah, speak, I guess speaking of the, the merging between the real world and these, these fantasy worlds or this like escapism that some games uh, do have, uh, we worked on a game called Rainbow Reef. Uh, was about coral reef conservation, and one of the features that we implemented implemented into it was the water temperature in the game was driven by the water temperature in the real world. So, the objective wow. of the game was to raise awareness for coral reef conservation. And one of the ideas that we came up with was, what if when there's a bleaching event or when there's uh, a warming event of the oceans? in the real world that happened in everybody's game. So everybody in their pocket has this reef, this little garden that they have been taking care of, that they have been maintaining. And all of a sudden it's under threat by the warming oceans. And then gamers would traditionally get go onto Google and look up, oh, my reef is warming. What do I do about it? And then they find out, that's what's happening in the real world and you mm. can't really do anything about it. So they yeah. go out there and, and, and talk about it or post it on social media. Uh, here's, here's some links to some places where you can actually sign up and make a dif difference. Mm. So it's that blending of creating an interactive experience that people can get emotionally invested in and then linking it out to other real world uh, resources or mm. bits of information or avenues to, to make a difference that we can create this, I guess, multimedia experience that has a positive difference on the world. Could you share a few of your favourite projects that you've worked on? A lot of my personally favourite projects that we worked on were the earliest projects because we went into them with a certain amount of, or I went into them with a certain amount of naivety of what needed to happen or I guess I was just naive to reality. So yeah. I made the game that I, wa I wanted to make mm. uh, and really just 
poured my heart and soul into creating something that was just a pure expression of, of one aspect of myself. Uh, so one of the, uh, the first game I mentioned was called Glitch. It was the first mobile game that we worked on as a company. The premise of that game is it's a mobile game which is a blend between Pac-Man and Snake. So you're a little Pac-Man character that's going around a grid on your phone, kind of like Snake. And you're trying to eat these little dots, trying to eat, eat dots and avoid the bad guys. The premise of the game is that the more you play, the further you progress, the more broken it becomes, the more glitches happen. Okay. So you're going around, you're collecting all these little dots, all these little bits of data, and the the phone progressively gets more and more broken. So there'd be dead pixels that pop up or there'd be static or there'd be like tearing lines that come up. Uh, the game would freeze or the game would jump ahead. Time would change. So just all these little, uh, I guess, obstacles would come up and they all made the game feel like it was more and more broken. And then we implemented this concept of game breaking bugs which was where another game breaks into this game so we'd have like the notes from guitar hero fall down from the top of the screen or the snake from snake comes up and that's an enemy that you've got to avoid or uh the mushroom from mario comes along and you eat that and you get big and you get <laughs> an extra life so just all these little kind of quirks of what we loved about games what we loved about uh, bugs and um and glitches that are in other games that are funny and entertaining uh, really just went into this game to make a fun, tight arcade game that we really enjoyed. Another game that we worked on was called uh, Bleached As. So this was also about coral reef conservation. And do you remember a, an internet video called Beached As? Yes. Kiwi, Kiwi Whale? <laughs> yes, I do. So we... Uh, we partnered up with the original creators of that video. I think it was, it was like 10 or 15 years ago or something that mm, they released. It's a that. while ago, it was, yeah. It was one of the like early internet memes when there were so few internet memes that it really circulated quickly and, and a lot of different people saw it. So they were coming up to their 10 or 15 year anniversary, I forget. Uh, of releasing that video and they got some funding to do a coral reef, uh, sorry, a ocean sustainability focused version of the game. And then we created a game for that. So, sorry, combined the two into, mm -hmm. into one sentence. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they were working on a web, web series and we worked on a mobile game to go along with that. So we created a game called Bleached Airs, which was about bleached corals and they had ridiculous Kiwi accents and it was a very irreverent and silly look at uh, ocean sustainability. So the, the three main corals in the game were all voice acted and all spoke to one another. They had this nice little relationship and your objective was to defend them from different threats. So you'd be using sort of fruit ninja style controls where you're slicing different like bits of plastic or there'd be fishing nets or trawler nets that come through. And if you don't oh, okay. cut, cut the nets, then they, they would kill all the corals and you'd have to start again. Uh, and it really was about the characters though. And a lot of hilarious voice lines. When we got the original voice recording from the Beach Daz team, <laughs> There was just a lot of profanity, a lot of uh, <laughs> talking about bleached buttholes and wow. <laughs> all, 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 all sorts of um, 
yeah, things that you wouldn't want to show your kids no. or get your, get your kids <laughs> to listen to. Um, but we ended up just putting a lot of that in the game because uh, it was really, really funny. And, and the objective of the, of the project was to, again, raise awareness for coral reef conservation. Mm. And we didn't want to censor that. We didn't want to take that all out. We weren't doing it for the, the, the profit. We didn't need a PG rating. Uh, and we knew that the older audience or the older demographics are the ones that really need to engage with this and and learn this because they're going to have a bigger impact they are kids are much more likely to be environmentally uh, conservative and and conscious Uh, so yeah really just put it all in there and and we see see how it goes Uh, and ended up ended up winning the australian Game Developer Award for Serious ah. Game of the Year, uh, which was really cool. And that game had a, a plant a tree system where we donated a percentage of the revenue from all of the ads that were shown to plant trees to pull carbon mm. out of the atmosphere. As as somebody played the game, they would see their carbon uh, collection tick up. So they'd have a little like you've collected this many grams of carbon by playing this game, and there's a high score for that. So introducing a competitive element of who could play the game the most and, and capture the most carbon out of the atmosphere. Oh, wow. So. Oh, there you go. That's, that's really cool. As soon as you said um, Beach does, I knew exactly what you were talking about. <laughs> uh, it's a Kiwi whale taking the piss out of the Kiwi accent, but it's actually made by a team of Australians, which yeah. I only found out when I when I met them. Oh wow! Uh, through, through through a mutual contact. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like I was. I'm not going to try and do a Kiwi accent. But no, I was. What, what, was <laughs> I, I won't was either. Born, I was born in New Zealand oh, uh, there you a go. while ago, mm. so I feel like that gives me some license to make <laughs> make a game about a a Kiwi coral that's bleached as. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, okay. Well, we're coming towards the end of the podcast and I always like to get my guests to sum up the topic that we've spoken about. So, Nico, how do you love the shit out of games? I feel like games had such an impact on my life that I've dedicated my entire life to create games, to change public perception around games. I think games can be so much, they can do so much. They can bleed into the real world. The real world can bleed into them. And I'm going to continue making games for the rest of my life. What other things do you love the shit out of? Obviously, your work probably takes up a lot of time and you're very invested in what you do. But, you know, any other hobbies or interests outside of gaming? I think my friends and family are probably top of the list. Um, Work definitely takes up a lot of my time and conscious effort and I guess as I get older I'm only 28 but as I get older I'm definitely acknowledging how important friends and family are and Mm. making more time for them and being less obsessed with work is definitely something that I cherish and and work towards Uh, in terms of other hobbies and things I'm always very interested in science I get interested to the point where I know a very broad amount about a subject, but then it gets too hard and too complex. And then I just move on to the next thing. <laughs> uh, so I've just, I've v- very hungry for knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think space and, and astrophysics in particular uh, are a, a very keen interest of mine that I love the shit out of and sci-fi and, and all things sci-fi, sci-fi novels, sci-fi movies, sci-fi games, um, something I'm very interested in. I'm a, an optimist and I think the future is going to be amazing. So that's the sort of sci-fi I like to like to consume is the, the type that paints a, a better, better future or talks about uh, an oppressive future and, and how everything's all right or everything will kind of carry on and, mm. and progress beyond the, the terrible circumstances. That's such a good message to put out there. Thank you for sharing that. Finally, how can people get in touch with Chaos Theory Games? Uh, I'd say our website is probably the, the main place to go if you want to mm-hmm. check out what we do and see some of our games. Uh, so it's uh, chaostheorygames.com. But if, you, if they wanted to, or if, if you would like to follow what we're up to, uh, Facebook and Twitter, we post a lot about what we're up to. It's mainly just us as a team and the people that work for us, uh, more so than the games that we work on. We occasionally post about the games that we work on, but um, because we do a lot of contract work and client mm. work, uh, usually those games are promoted through other channels. So yeah. we've got a, a great loyal loyal following that we we love chatting to online um and i guess yeah showing what happens behind the curtain a little bit at, mm. at chaos theory awesome well thank you so much nico for being on the podcast i have learned a lot <laughs> and um you know i sometimes you know you kind of go away and, and from different hobbies and whatnot and i'm i kind of go in and out of playing games here and there but as i said i've been playing a bit of tony hawks recently and getting a bit back into it so You've really uh, reinvigorated my love of games and I'm sure you've done the same for some of our other listeners. So thank you. Mm, More than welcome.